Hello, thanks for checking out the KZMC podcast. My name is April Zaire, and I'm an associate pastor at KZMC. This podcast is a recording of sermon teachings from our 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning worship gatherings. We release a new episode every Tuesday. If you're looking to check out our Sunday mornings, you can find our live stream over on our YouTube channel on Kingsfield Zurich Mennonite Church. We'd also love to have you join us in person. You can find out all the details about our Sunday mornings on our website, kzmc.ca. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here sharing with you. Uh, my name is Randy Liebold, and I'm here with my family. Uh, you can see a picture of our family there up on the screen right now. Uh, my wife, Anita, there in the center along with me, and then our three sons. Our oldest is Cameron. You see him on the right. Uh, and then our, uh, the next son, Hudson, on the left, and uh, sitting, standing beside Anita is, is Jaden. So those are our three sons, and as you can see, they're they're growing up, two of them are taller than me already, and uh, one is probably not very far behind. So, so yeah, it's been uh, three years since we've been here sharing with you um, about our ministry, our work with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, it's a pleasure to be back here. We just, first of all, want to thank you for this opportunity that you have given us uh, to share here this morning briefly, and uh, want to thank you, too, for your support. Uh, some of you may not know, but the church periodically sends us some financial support. Um, our ministry is funded by churches and other supporters, so we really appreciate that. Uh, it's really what makes us able to do what we do. So yeah, we really value your, your support financially and your prayers as well. I'm uh, really just thankful for that um, and thankful for this opportunity to be here um, this morning. So Anita and I were with Wycliffe Bible Translators. We've been with Wycliffe since uh, the year 2000. Uh, we did our studies for a while, and then we spent some time overseas uh, uh, in the country of Indonesia. Uh, I was mainly doing language survey at the time, so doing research to figure out the needs for Bible translation in the province of Papua. Uh, we returned on a furlough and expected to make our way back to Indonesia eventually, but we had a number of delays, and eventually uh, we could not return because of some visa challenges. Um, the government was no longer offering visas to our organization. So I worked remotely for a, for a season, and then eventually uh, a spot opened up for us to be involved in training. So right now we, we live in British Columbia uh, in the city of, of Langley near Vancouver, uh, teaching at Canada Institute of Linguistics where we train uh, students for the work of Bible translation and, and other language-related ministry. So that's, that's what the ministry that we're involved right now. Uh, we're, Anita and I, we both love our work, uh, feel that it's been a great fit for us. I'm involved in teaching and other academic administration. I'm also doing uh, PhD studies uh, as well, hoping to wrap that up in about a year. And Anita, she's involved in recruitment, um, yeah, bringing students into the, into the school and kind of uh, shepherding them up to the point that they arrive. So that's our ministry, and uh, yeah, thanks so much for, for giving us the opportunity uh, to share today. In the 1980s film, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the main character, Indiana Jones, goes on a quest to rescue his father and find a holy grail, an ancient relic with powers to heal and prolong life. Near the end of the film, Jones and his father reach the temple where the holy grail is located. But Jones's father is shot and mortally wounded, forcing Jones to act quickly to find the grail so that he can use it to save his dying father. 
To reach the grail, Jones needs to overcome some traps, one of them being a bottomless pit. Oops, come back. Sorry. There we go. One of them being a bottomless pit that he must cross over. As he arrives at the edge of the pit and surveys the predicament in front of him, he looks to the diary that provides clues for the journey. He reads that crossing the pit involves a leap, yet he recognizes that it is impossible for him to jump across. Hearing his father's screams of pain behind him, he knows he must figure out how to cross the pit to get to the grail. He then realizes that the clue in the diary is telling him that it is a leap of faith that is required to cross the chasm. So Jones lifts his foot out in front of him and shifts his weight forward into the open pit before him. He begins to fall forward, but suddenly his foot is stopped by something below him, something that prevents his fall. Jones discovers that his foot has landed on a bridge, which had been invisible to him, painted to look like the pit below him. Jones is clearly relieved and makes his way across the bridge to continue his journey. That step of faith, the belief that the pit was somehow passable, and the acting out of that belief by taking the step forward into the pit was instrumental in his success in eventually finding the grail and bringing it back to his dying father to save him. I suspect that most of us can identify with the experience of Indiana Jones as he faced the bottomless pit. We've likely faced challenges with the choice to take a step forward when we're not sure what the outcome might be. You've likely experienced the fear and uncertainty in such moments. Sometimes we take the step, other times we don't. For some of us, such steps have led to a positive outcome, while for others, we feel the outcome was a bit like falling into the pit below us. Whatever your experience has been, this scene highlights for us a key aspect of the Christian faith. Christian faith involves steps of faith. This is summarized well in verse 17 of James 2, which was read for us this morning. So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good, good deeds, it is dead and useless. James tells us that just believing has no impact. It makes no difference. This is not to say that believing in something is unimportant. I would argue that believing correctly or having the right object of faith is very important. It's just that belief that is not acted on is in fact not true belief, since our actions ultimately show the kind of faith that we have. James tells, helps us understand that the Christian faith is not simply mental assent that God exists um, or that Jesus di lived, died, and rose again. If I say I believe God exists but don't live my life like he does, then do I really have faith in God? Christian faith is not true faith without a step or act of faith. And if it is true that our faith is really only true faith when it is demonstrated, shouldn't our lives as Christians, as people of faith, be filled with steps of faith? Yet I suspect that for most of us, we likely have room to grow in this area of living our lives in ways that are filled with steps of faith. So, to help us this morning, I'd like us to reflect on a few characteristics of steps of faith. As I share this morning, I'd like to outline five key truths about steps of faith. 
These truths do not compass everything that the Bible teaches about faith, but, but do outline some key truths related to taking steps of faith. And I believe that understanding these truths and how they apply in our lives is important for helping us to take steps of faith. It's my hope that applying these truths will help us to grow toward being people who are characterized as people who take steps of faith. So the first truth I'd like to share about is that steps of faith grow our relationship with God. As we take steps of faith, our relationship with God grows. A great example of this is the story of Peter's, uh, one of Peter's early encounters with Jesus recorded in Luke 5. This is the first encounter between Jesus and, and Peter that Luke records. In fact, the passage uses the name Simon, a name that Jesus later changed to Peter. In this encounter, Jesus steps into Simon's boat and asks him to push it out into the water so that he can teach the crowds from there. After Jesus finishes speaking to the crowd, he addresses Simon. Luke writes, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, We worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. Here we see Peter taking a step of faith. He's been out all night, which is the best time for fishing, but doesn't catch a thing. To Simon, it makes no logical sense to try again. Yet at Jesus' instructions, he obeys. Luke continues describing the outcome of Simon's act of obedience. At this time, and this time, the nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, O oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they caught, as were the others with them. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as he landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Here we see a transformation in Simon Peter as he takes this step of faith in obedience to Jesus. Jesus performs a miracle that demonstrates that he is indeed trustworthy, worthy of Peter's faith. As Peter experiences Jesus come through in response to his step of faith, his relationship with Jesus is transformed. Through Peter's step of faith and this encounter with Jesus, we see he sees himself in a new light and chooses to leave everything and follow Jesus. In the same way, our own relationship with Jesus or with God grows as we take steps of faith. This truth that steps of faith grow our relationship with God is a key motivation for us to take such steps of faith. This is not the only way to grow our faith, but if we feel like our relationship with him has plateaued or stagnated, taking a step of faith can transform our relationship with him. How might Jesus want to grow your relationship with him through taking a step of faith? The second truth is that steps of faith involve dependence or partnership with God. I think we see this in Peter's encounter with Jesus, since Peter's steps of faith is, is, is not the only thing that brought about the miraculous catch of fish. It was Jesus who worked the miracle. 
Steps of faith are really not about us. It's not simply about mustering up our faith or purely relying on our own strength and abilities to succeed in the step of faith we're taking. Our steps of faith require dependence on him. Another great example of this is when Jesus asked his disciples to feed the crowd that he had been ministering to. In Matthew 14, we read that Jesus had been teaching and healing the crowd. It's now evening and it's time for everyone to eat. Let's pick up the story in verse 15. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village, villages and buy food for themselves. Here we see the disciples' very reasonable solution to the problem of the hungry crowds around them, to let them go buy food. However, Jesus has something else in mind. Continuing in verse 16, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Here Jesus calls his disciples to be a part of the solution. Rather than sending the crowds away, he asks his disciples to feed the crowd. Their response in verse 17 isn't surprising. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. I think it's easy to see ourselves in the disciples' response. Often we feel that what we have to offer to serve others isn't enough. But how does Jesus respond in verse 18? Bring them here, he said. Jesus invites them to bring what they have. What they brought was not insignificant. It's true that what they brought was not sufficient, but sufficiency isn't what is what required to take a step of faith. Jesus takes what we have and transforms it into so much more. You likely know how this story turns out, the feeding of the 5,000. Through Jesus' miracle, the crowds are fed and there are plenty of leftovers. Like the disciples here, our steps of faith involve a dependence on God, a partnership with him. As we begin a step of faith, we trust God to step in. Through steps of faith, we live a dynamic partnership with God. This example of the disciples' role in the feeding of the 5,000 reminds us that we don't have to wait until we feel like we have what it takes to to take a step of faith. We just need to bring what we have, who we are, and leave room for God to step in. It can be a challenge to take a step of faith in the face of our own sense of insufficiency. Yet we need to recognize and acknowledge our dependence on God who is all-sufficient and then respond by taking steps of faith. The third truth that I would like to share about is that steps of faith require a spiritual perspective. What I mean by this is that usually a step of faith requires us to have some understanding of the spiritual realm to really understand its dynamics. I've already alluded to this as I shared about the second truth, that steps of truth involve a dependence on God. We know that depending um, on God acknowledges that God exists and that he partners with us in these steps of faith. This is spiritual perspective. I think the Indiana Jones movie clip helps us understand the need to have perspective in our steps of faith. From his limited personal perspective in the movie, it appears that taking the step of Faith, the leap of faith over the bottomless pit would lead to falling into the abyss below him. He didn't have the full perspective as he wrestled with the decision. 
not until he realized that there must be some other dynamic at play, something that he couldn't see, was he willing to take that step of faith. Might it be true for us when faced with opportunities to take steps of faith? Do we fail to consider the full perspective of the opportunity, a perspective that takes into account spiritual realities? A good example of this is the story of David as he engages Goliath on the battlefield in 1 Samuel 17. The entire Israelite army is paralyzed by fear of Goliath. They see no way to overcome this giant and win the battle. However, David has a very different perspective. As David sees what is going on as he visits his brothers in the battlefield, he says, Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allow allowed to defy the armies of the living God? While this is an Old Testament story that has limited application in light of the kingdom inaugurated by Jesus, what I think is applicable for us is the spiritual perspective that David has in this situation. He saw beyond the apparently hopeless physical situation and saw a spiritual reality that the living God was a key part of the situation. David also drew upon his experience with God to help give him perspective. As David conversed with King Saul, he tells him that he was, had successfully battled lions and bears with God's help. David tells Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Do we have this kind of perspective when an opportunity arises for a step of faith? Does our perspective of faith include God and past experiences where God showed himself to us to be trustworthy? I think our tendency is to focus on what we might lose if we take a step. We might think that we might lose financially, materially, or in terms of comfort, security, or even control. We might fear failing or looking bad to others if we take this step of faith. But having a spiritual perspective helps us to see the potential upside of taking such steps. As mentioned earlier, our faith grows. Uh, our, our, as we take steps of faith, our relationship with God grows, allowing us to partner with him in the his work in the world to play a role in making a difference around us. This perspective can help us take steps of faith. The fourth truth that I'd like to share about is that steps of faith do not need to be free of feelings of doubt and fear. There are times when fear and doubt are very real, and these feelings should not be what prevent us from taking faith. Yes, fear should help prevent us from taking foolish steps, but not steps of faith. In fact, it shouldn't surprise us that many steps of faith include some fear and doubt, because steps of faith always have a degree of uncertainty. Without at least some uncertainty, it wouldn't be a step of faith. It shouldn't surprise us that this uncertainty affects our emotions, such as fear or anxiety. It's likely that Peter experienced doubt about catching any fish as he, at the command of Jesus, took his boat out to deeper waters to cast his nets. It's likely that David experienced some level of fear as he faced Goliath. And I think Esther also serves as a good example of someone who was fearful, yet took a step of faith on behalf of her people as she went before King Xerxes. She risked her life for her people to go before the king without being summoned, 
in order to uncover Haman's plot against her, against the Jews. It's likely she wrestled with some level of fear while taking this step of faith. I think we see the interplay between faith and fear in one of David's psalms. David wrote Psalm 56, likely during a time when he was seized by the Philistines who were pursuing him. He writes, O God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will trust in you. I praise God for what, for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? In this psalm, David is wrestling with feelings of fear and chooses to trust or to have faith in the midst of fear. I think verse 3 is the key. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. In these verses, we get a picture of the internal wrestling with fear that David is going through. This verse indicates that David chooses to trust or have faith in God in the midst of that fear. Like David, we shouldn't wait for the feelings of fear to subside before trusting God and living out that trust by taking a step of faith. In fact, it would be it could be that God wants to meet us in the step of faith to show himself to us, to help bring his peace, that sense that he is completely dependable and will take care of us in the midst of fearful situations. So even in the midst of doubt and fear, we can take steps of faith. The fifth step, uh, the fifth truth about steps of faith that I would like to share is that the outcome of our steps of faith is ultimately up to God. All the examples of the steps of faith that I've shared about this morning turned out great for those who chose to take the step of faith. Peter caught fish. The disciples' limited food was used to feed the 5,000. David slew Goliath. And Esther obtained the ear of the king in order to save her people. But this isn't always the case. We don't always see the full outcome of our step of faith. Our steps of faith don't always turn out as we might hope or expect. Sometimes it appears that we failed or that God didn't step in as we expected. We see this clearly in Hebrews chapter 11, which recounts a long list of people who took steps of faith. People like Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. As the author of Hebrews sums up his point, he writes, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. Here we see the amazing outcomes of these people of faith. But the writer to the Hebrews continues. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing uh, skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Here we see a very different outcome of these people of faith. Certainly not the fruitful outcomes that we saw in the previous list. 
All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God promised. For God had something better in mind for them, so that they would not reach perfection without us. All these people were faithful. The seemingly negative outcomes of their steps of faith did not indicate that their steps of faith were a failure. The final verse, verse 40, indicates that our steps of faith and their outcome must be understood in the context that is bigger than ourselves. Our steps of faith are always connected to a bigger story of what God is doing, a story that we can't fully comprehend. Our apparent failure or struggle in the midst of taking steps of faith may have an impact that we are not able to see or experience. Our steps of faith can have an impact of those who follow after us, which is a key point of Hebrews chapter 11, even when our steps of faith don't turn out like we expect. In the moments when our steps of faith feel more like a step of failure, we may feel like God doesn't love us or that he has abandoned us. Yet the outcome of our steps of faith is never an indicator of God's love for us or whether he whether or not he is with us. God's love is unconditional, and his presence is always pervading. God may be wanting to communicate these truths about his nature to us in the midst of steps of faith, perhaps most deeply in the moments when it seems like our steps of faith aren't working out. Are we willing to take a step of faith even when the outcome isn't so great for us? This is the true test of faith, the opportunity to have the depth of our face tested and to experience him in new and deeper ways. This morning, we've looked at five truths about taking steps of faith. Okay, the first truth was that steps of faith grow our relationship with God. The second was that steps of faith involve dependence or partnership with God. The third was that steps of faith require spiritual perspective. The fourth truth was that steps of faith do not need to be free of feelings of doubt and fear. And finally, the fifth truth was that the outcome of our steps of faith is ultimately up to God. I'd like for us to pause and reflect for a moment. What makes you hesitate to take steps of faith? How do these truths speak to whatever might be hindering you from taking steps of faith? My hope is that as you reflect on these truths, you would gain the courage and the perspective to take a step of faith. Perhaps you already know a step of faith that you sense God, God is leading you to. Perhaps you're not so sure and you need to ask God to reveal to you the next step of faith he's calling you to. As I wrap up, I'd like to suggest two practical action points that can be helpful. First, I encourage you to be in community with other believers. In many cases, we can take steps of faith with others in community. Joining in steps of faith with others can help spur us forward to take bigger steps of faith. Engaging with Jesus' followers can help us gain the spiritual perspective to take such steps. The community around us can provide wisdom, discernment, and encouragement to take steps of faith. Secondly, I encourage you to engage with the truth of God in Scripture. As in the biblical stories I shared this morning, in Scripture, we see God is dependable, worthy of our trust. The truth of Scripture can help us gain perspective beyond ourselves as we read the story of God's work in the world and His plan for humanity. Meditating on the truth of God 
can help us overcome doubt and fear that might paralyze us. To conclude, I'd like to read a modern-day story of a step of faith. Imagine a region torn by war. The militia controls public life. People live in fear. How can the translated word of God make a difference? How can, how can it even get to people? In that troubled region of West Asia, four friends had remained in spite of the danger. They were determined to offer living hope to the people around them. Their most important tools were simple cassette tapes with stories about biblical characters. One that was particularly popular featured 10 Old Testament Psalms set to music composed by renowned local artists. Then one day, a group of 22 heavily armed men from a radical militia group drove up to the house of the four friends. The militia took them away along with their two vehicles and some of their possessions. They were held captive for two days and they had no idea what their captors were planning to do to them. One of the militia leaders was driving one of the confiscated vehicles when he noticed a cassette tape. It was the Psalms tape that, had, that the four friends had been using to share the word of God with others. The militia leader decided to insert it into the vehicle's cassette player. He listened to the Psalms as he wrote, drove along. The next day, that same leader arrived back at the house where the four friends were being held. He had the Psalms tape in his hand. I listened to this tape yesterday while I was driving in your vehicle, he said. And while I was listening to it, I cried for the first time in my life. Neither myself nor any man could ever harm people that would own such an amazing, God-honoring tape, the militia leader continued. You can't be bad people. Only good people would listen to such music. Shortly after this incident, the four friends were released. Their vehicles and their belongings were given back to them, everything except the Psalms tape. May God's Spirit lead you, encourage you, fill you, and enable you uh, to grow toward becoming a people whose lives are filled with steps of faith for His kingdom and His glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for these stories of faith that we read about this morning, these stories that have been recorded in scripture and the story that has been uh, the modern day story shared as well. We just thank you for the challenge and the encouragement that these present to us. And God, we, we acknowledge you to be trustworthy and faithful. So God, it is our desire to, to live out that faith by taking steps that demonstrate our trust in you. So we pray that you would lead us and guide us uh, as we take those steps. We pray that this community uh, here in Zurich, at Zurich Mennonite Church, would be a community that is characterized by steps of faith, making a difference in this, in this community. So we just thank you for your love, your care, uh, the way that you um, meet us in, in the, our moments of need, in particular when we take steps of faith, the way you step in. Just pray that you would challenge us and, and grow our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.